couple Sundays ago, I was in the field with my unit down at Fort Stewart when I read the headline news of a horrific incident that's, for some reason, has become not so unusual. And that was in a little church down there in, in South Sutherland, Texas, in a Baptist church, a gunman walks in and wipes out pretty much the entire congregation. 26 people killed and the same amount even more injured. And now that church is no longer even going to be in existence because they're going to actually just tear the church down. Now, for a piece of me, I thought, could that ever happen in Covington? And could that happen at Solid Rock Baptist Church? And there's a real fear to that. Because it wasn't too soon after this incident took place that people on social media, the news outlets, and those who certainly are not believers started questioning, well, is there really a true God? And how could a true God allow that to happen to his team? How could he allow time after time devastation and horrific incidences happen to his people? And we like to think that there is a place that we can go to somewhere that's going to protect us from everything, from the weather, from the heat, the cold, humidity, tornadoes, hurricanes, and particularly the evil forces that are out there. We like to think that this building has the ability to do that. And there are often times when people leave thinking, am I on the winning team here? Now, obviously don't support Muslims, but there was also a horrific incident that happened in Egypt. A good many of them were killed. And we look to those things like, well, they're not on the winning team. We are. And then we hear about things happening to us. We're like, oh, are we on the winning team? And so you're going to hear a little bit about some of the things that people have been questioning and wondering, are they on the winning team? And let me tell you, before we end this service, I will tell you, you are on the winning team. And we're going to see this as we go through the message today. But this is not an unusual tactic. This is really not. This has been taking place for a long, long time. From the very beginning of time, we can see our adversary, Satan himself, who knows the end of his team, what's going to take place, and his ability to bring people with him to end their destruction. So this tactic is not unusual for us, and so we'll look in Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, if you open to them, to Genesis chapter 3 as we get started in today's message. But today's message is about the plan against us can actually enable us. And I've come up with three Ds that we're going to help discuss this piece, and those are doubt, discouragement, and delay. And how all three of them, Satan has used very, very successfully But now we can take those same tactics and techniques that he has used and use them against him and to better our own winning team. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, here we are. we got the perfect oasis going on in the Garden of Eden. There There is no hunger. There is no trouble. There is no fear. It's a perfect place. Now, there is no perfect place on earth anymore like it was in the Garden of Eden. Now, on this cruise, they took us to a little island in Mexico called Cozumel. And I thought that I might have hit the Garden of Eden. 
Absolutely beautiful. Blue water, you could see it all the way down to the ocean floor. I've never seen ocean water so clear because I grew up on the Georgia coast. It's muddy water. And if you jump into it, you don't have no clue what you're about to get eaten by. But clearly down in there, I could tell. I could, I could look for miles and see that there was nothing that was coming to harm me. And the weather was pretty. wasn't a cloud in the sky, and the beach was as white and sandy as the pictures show it. And it was beautiful, and I really didn't want to leave. I, I told the family, I'll just figure out my own way home. But this was also the same and better in the Garden of Eden. And there was only two people there. The first of God's creation, Adam, and the second, his helpmate, Eve. But in Genesis chapter 3, we start to see a turn of events that take place on Satan's very first tactic that he pulls inside the Garden of Eden. And see, the serpent was the shrewdest of all animals the Lord God had made. And one day, with the ability to talk, he asked the woman, Well, did God really say, You must not eat from the tr- fruit from any of the trees in the garden? His first question, a small sense of doubt is implanted. A very small seed here. She replies, of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, because God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. And if you do, you will die. Now, when God tells us something directly... It's a pretty good idea to pay attention and follow those instructions. But I will tell you, as a man who has tripped and fell and made many mistakes, even when I've heard direct instructions to not do something, I still like to see if it's a possibility. When my dad told me not to play with electricity and not to play with electrical outlets, I felt the need to try just to make sure that he was telling me the truth And I blackened my entire hand trying to rewire a lamp. When my son was, I don't know how old were you, eight, nine, he got a hold of a a light bulb. And my father-in-law had left out some kind of contraption. He thought that he could put the light bulb in there and make it work and found out that electricity was a real piece in in his life because he was immediately shocked by that. But we do that. Even when our fathers tell us directly, don't do something, we're still going to do it. We're still going to try it because we want to make sure that, hey, he he may have made that up. But here God has not made up anything. He's given a direct set of statements for Adam and Eve's protection. And yet, it's already in doubt. The serpent replies, you won't die. Very assurant. Very positive. He plants that first seed. You won't die because God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And here in the the sixth verse, it says, the woman was convinced. Convinced on two statements. You won't die and you'll be like God. The first set of doubt, you see it happening right here. Now, doubt can be used on anyone, anytime, anywhere, unless you just have the ability to detach your mind from your body. 
You're constantly going to be attacked in the area of doubt. Now, how do you protect yourself from an impossible, what seems like an impossible style of, de- of an attack? Where is our defense? Well, we only have to look into the New Testament, Luke chapter 7, in the faith of a Roman officer. Now, let me, let me explain something here. This isn't just any Roman officer. This is a captain. And he has a large army up underneath him. Whatever he says, people do. He only has to answer to his superior, which are only probably two or three officers above him, maybe not even in his region. He controls this area. This is his property. Whatever he says will be done. Now, when Jesus returned from Capernaum in Luke chapter 7, he says, At the time, a highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they begged Jesus to come help him and help the man. He says, if anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus goes with them to go heal this man. Now, interestingly enough here, just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to your, my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority of my superior officers, and I have the authority of my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And I have the authority over my soldiers And if they say, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He turns back to the crowd and he says, I tell you, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. So here's what we're going to look at real quick. We're going to look at the Roman officer's ability to have no doubt in his mind who Jesus is. First of all, he recognizes him. He knows his abilities and he recognizes his truth. So here he recognizes Jesus as God. And so he battles doubt. There's no doubt in his mind. If he goes to Jesus, he says, please heal my slave. There's no doubt in his mind of who this man is and what he can do and the truth that he says. He knows it'll be done. And this is where Jesus battles, gives us the first clue on how to battle doubt. Have faith. Because Jesus even goes on. I'll tell you, I haven't seen faith like this. And when the officer's friends returned to the house, they, the man had been healed. You see... You battle doubt with faith in God, and not just any faith in God. Doubt that he does hear you, just sometimes he doesn't respond immediately. And that's where our faith starts to founder. We have the ability to put our faith into God, to battle the doubt, but when it doesn't happen immediately, and we don't receive immediate healing in our sickness, in our finances, in our life, we immediately start to crack in the faith And shoulder on doubt. And Satan's strategy of winning continues on in the believers. So we have our faith in God. Faith in his action. Not only do we have to believe in God and God of who he is, superior and the creator of all kingdom and all heaven and all earth, but we have to have a belief and faith in his actions. And his actions are done sometimes by him directly And sometimes by people, or sometimes by the most uncommon way we've ever seen in our our life. Faith in his actions. 
See, God's actions are not our actions. And his timeline is not our timeline. You know, when I was in Bible college, I used to sit there and think about God's timeline. And I often wondered, could I really fathom and could I, did I have the mental capacity to put it all in to understand how the, the timeline and God's way of doing things. And every once in a while, I get those little snaps. Have you ever had those, those moments of like, oh, yeah, for it to be wished away as soon as you figure it out? I wish you had wrote it down or used a, a recording app to put it down. But lastly, in battling our doubts, we had to have faith in the truth. See, God gave us the truth. He gave it through his son, Jesus And then he did even a better miracle for you and I because he put it in black and white and he put it right in our hands. Oftentimes, when you're battling with doubt, you can turn to God's word and find God in here and the actions that he plans on doing and you can find it in the truth. But we know that Satan, as crafty as he is, And as good as he is, doesn't stop at just one D. No, he uses another D. And this D has been the best D that he's ever used. It's called discouragement. I dropped my papers earlier, and thank goodness I numbered them because they are way out of sequence. We're about to go on to something else. Amen? Y'all are like, he's done. That next paper was conclusion. (laughs) Wrap it up. Discouragement. You know, when it comes to discouragement, I think this is probably the best one he's ever used. He's used it in my life a good bit, and I'm sure he's used it in your life a good bit. Now, unfortunately, discouragement is successful, and I've seen it happen to many, many ministers. I've seen it happen to many people who say they've been called by God to come into the ministry to only be discouraged to leave it. Now, but we're going to look at discouragement in in a different way because Here's the the reality. Everything can be absolutely perfect. Your marriage can be going great. You can be healthy. You can have your finances all in order. You're getting paid a very good amount of, of income. Things are not a problem. For just one instant, it could all be turned upside down. Marriages fall apart in 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 seconds, literally seconds. I can tell you, I'm sure if my wife wasn't such a beautiful woman and an intelligent, wise woman, our marriage probably would have ended. Because I I say and do stupid things. Don't we all? Amen. I'm not here to bash the men, but I know we do stupid stuff. But it doesn't take but one small crack in discouragement to have us fall over it. It It can be a molehill. And a molehill is very small. It only ripples up the ground a tad bit. And you can trip right over it, and, 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 and everything just goes out of whack. Marriages fall apart. You find out you have a, a life-threatening disease. Your finances, all of a sudden, you wreck a car. You, you break down another car. Finances are turned upside down. You can't make the mortgage payment anymore. Direct TV's being turned off. Phones, it, 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 it can go on and on and on. But Satan can use that so quickly. You see, God wasn't looking after you told you that from the get-go. You should have been thinking about yourself. You were probably giving 10% of your income to the church. What a waste of time that was. That's the kind of things he'll do to you. And he's good at it. And he, we're the only ones he's affected. Now, you can look into the New Testament and you can see Peter. 
Peter should have never doubted and been discouraged at who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. But goodness gracious, Peter gets discouraged so quickly. He was discouraged during the storm on the boat. He got discouraged when he's walking on water. He got discouraged when they were asking who Jesus was and he's denying it. He got discouraged when they, when, when they were crucifying. He ran off in fear. Peter was a whole bag of discouragement. And God still used him over and over again. I was discouraged on this cruise ship. I'll tell you, it was one of the last days we were on the ship. And there wasn't much to do. And so they had this game going called bingo. What a ridiculous game. We paid our money to get three bingo cards. (laughs) And I did not know how to play. I did not know how to play. They had, to, they had to actually give us instructions how to play. But the last game was a $5,000 uh, prize. I thought, man, this could be great. We could win. We got three cards. Odds of winning are great. Then he said, and, I, and I'm really thinking bingo is one line, right? One line, one line, bingo. You've got to fill the entire card. The entire car, you got all, all the numbers got to be taken, and he's only going to give you 49 numbers. And I think, what, there's, what, there's like 20, 48 or something like that on the card. So just one off, you're going to lose. But we got within two numbers. Two numbers left. I was, I was we're going to win. And then he said, this is, ball, uh, this is number 49. And we're looking at our paper, and that's not our, not our number, and we still got two more to cover. He talk about discouraged. <laughs> I said, we paid for a piece of paper. Thank you, Carnival Cruise. And we didn't even win the last game. He kept on calling numbers, and we still didn't win. And we only had two left, and we still, that that was discouragement. Now, I will tell you, I said I won't tell you everything about having on the cruise, but I discouraged my kids on the very first day by entering into a competition. And we were, me, and my, and me and Cameron were up on top deck. We're like, y'all, y'all got to get out of your rooms. You got to come enjoy this cruise. There's ocean everywhere. You can just see for miles. And they walk up onto the top deck to see their dad doing something absolutely ridiculous in front of the entire ship. And the first thing they did was bolt back to their room, which I don't blame them. I don't blame them. That was just one of those things that dad does. But all of us in this building have experienced some type of failure in some form or fashion. But I will tell you, here's the one that's done the most damage, the most damage. And it's Satan's ability to take Scripture out of context and apply it to your life. Let me show you one. And this is just one of very many. In John chapter 9, verse 31, down in the very bottom, if you were to take this out of context, which I'm about to do, this might just absolutely ruin your life. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Now, how many in here are perfect people and have never sinned? Yeah, I didn't see too many hands going up either. And if I were to read that to a believer or a non-believer, first of all, that'd be the end. Because that meant that God isn't going to hear anything I ever say at any given time. And Satan has gotten really good at taking things out of context. You see, if you were to take this piece out of context, it would mean that God is not going to hear you. Because you're a sinner, and God doesn't listen to sinners. That would mean to believe that, basically, 
Calvinism is correct, that God's only chosen the ones he's going to take, and therefore they must not be sinners. So the rest of us are left out. And that's dangerous, and Calvinism is dangerous in that, in that area because it discourages people from going out and telling others about Jesus and about the gospel because there's a belief that he's already chosen you and that you've got nothing you can do about it. Now, if that was the case, I would tell you that there was no purpose for Jesus coming down, being in flesh. There was no purpose for Jesus bringing us truth, and there was no point for Jesus going to the cross and dying. So that is battled right there, right now. And we know that many, many times people have done this, and Satan is doing it, and he's good at it. If you don't think he knows every word in the Bible, you're out your mind. He can recite it word for word. And he uses it against us better than we can use it against him. Much, much better. But we know God does graciously hear sinners. Because when we cry out for mercy, we're the first ones that he steps down to and puts a hand on our, on our back or on our shoulder and lifts us back into his gracious word of grace. That's how I know God does hear sinners. Because this old sinner boy has had repented a lot in many, many times. That's exactly what he would have you believe, is that God doesn't hear you. The last one, I must have did these out of order, is delay. You see, delay follows discouragement. Because when you get discouraged, you're probably not going to be too motivated to go anything further than that. You see, I hear people all the time say, I, I feel like I've been called to ministry. I feel like I've been called to ministry. I feel like I've been called to ministry. God gave me an audible to call into the ministry. When, when God gives you that audible, I, I can't do nothing about that. God called you, right? And they get discouraged. And they delay their footsteps. They don't pursue it. They don't strive for it. They fall away. They go from the front pew to the middle pew to the back pew to the outdoor. And they're never used. See, Satan wants to delay you. He wants to put things off. He wants you to put off your call. And I've told you this many times. I think I've even preached this. God has called every single person. You have some form in the ministry. Be it the smallest to the biggest. You could be up on stage or you could be the person welcoming the person to the door. You have a part. And that's just two of them. I could go on and on. I need Sunday school teachers. I need more Sunday school teachers than anybody else in, in Georgia. Okay? I need more nursery workers than anybody else in Georgia. I need people to work with our children's ministry. I need, we, we need more people to work with our youth. We need more people to work with our sports. We're always begging for coaches. Come down. Use your talents. Teach these kids how to play ball. And when you've got a captive audience, tell them about Jesus. But time and time again, Satan uses you. He discourages you. And you delay. You delay in your action. Now, I will tell you, delay, for some reason, for husbands, this is, this is, our, this is our Achilles heel. We delay everything. You know, my wife has a list that if I rolled her out on the scroll, it goes straight down the aisle, out the door, and into the ball field. She's always got something for me to do. And I've always got a reason why I shouldn't do it. 
My biggest delay is during football season. Don't, don't ask me to do it on Saturdays. It ain't going to happen. From 12 to 12 o'clock the next day, I'm on the couch. Not leaving. But there's a great tactic Satan's used here. And he's used it to delay your decision to follow Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 7. And this is where Jesus, I mean, this is where Satan doesn't want you to come in. So he explained it to them on an illustration. He says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Here in verse 9, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Let me tell you here. Sadly, the progress of the Christian mission is slowing down. We're not gathering sheep. We're not even looking for them half the time. Half the time, we'll tell them if they don't just come to us, oh well. And that progress is getting slower and slower by the day. Up 81, it was a, uh, uh, gosh, I can't think of the name of the church anymore. Small Methodist Church had a coffee shop there. Big old four cell sign on it. Obviously, something went wrong there. And it's delayed their ability to share the gospel. See, that's, that's the tactic that Satan wants. If he can delay your ability to share the gospel, share your testimony, share the good news of what Christ did for you and I, if he can do that, and you take your last breath and close your eyes for the last time, he's won. He won. He brought you with him. But if we can overcome that, and we get on our feet, and we start telling people about Jesus, and we start getting excited about the Gospels, and we start running that message in through our families, in through our school systems, which has tried to be done over and over again, then we are not going to be defeated by this delay. You see, there will be a day that when somebody's up here preaching, there won't be but a few people left. I believe that day is starting to happen. And we can look around, our congregation isn't that full. Jesus is delaying it. His return for our purpose. And I thank him every day that he gave me the ability to walk in. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd love to be captive, caught up into the heavenly realms right now. I don't have to worry about standing in the buffet line. I'd love that. But it is with his great grace and mercy that he's delayed his return. Because we still got the mission. You know, I started off in about sports. And in a world of team sports... There's generally two sides, and they're competing for one goal, and that's to win. And we know in this competition, one's going to be the victor, and one will be the loser. One side is only destined to win. However, the common thread is that both sides are predestined to experience that outcome, whether it be positive or negative. And even as this relates, even in in our nation's history and in the wars we've done, somebody has been the winner, and somebody has been the loser. However... Anyone, given the right set of circumstances, can win a war. Given the right set of intelligence and equipment, knowledge and courage, we can win this war that Satan has waged against us. You see, here's the reality. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, and against the powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against the spiritual host of witnesses in heavenly places. We're not fighting against each other. We're fighting against the one we can't see. And he's done a good job of winning. But we're on the winning team. Let me tell you this. The fact is that our lives are the focal point of an actual battle. The enemy, who is Satan, is constantly attacking all humanity every day. And his desire is not only to distract, but to destroy every person. It is the goal of Satan to prevent you and I from having an authentic relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. However, the second part of this equation is that of the Almighty God. See, not only is Satan fighting for possession, but God is also fighting for your possession. The difference is God fights it with love and securing your eternity with him in his glorious presence. In fact, God has fought for you and I from the very beginning of Adam and Eve. Through the first disobedience in the Garden of Eden to now. In that exchange, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, as we ended it, here we have the conclusion of what God has said. I will put an immunity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That above scripture is, is actually prophecy of Jesus Christ. We know who he's referring to. We know that he does actually bruise the heel of Jesus. In that, Jesus was crucified for you and I. But that did not end at the crucifixion. Nope. Jesus rose again, giving him victory over death and completing the process of redeeming humanity from sin. So it's clear from the beginning of time that God had a plan to fight for you and I by allowing Jesus to be the sacrifice. However, even with both sides and their intentions being known, there is still a part you and I must play. You see, like it or not, you must choose which team you want to be on. Regardless of the way it looks for the, this team or the next, you have to choose. And by not choosing, you're still choosing. Many people say, well, I'll just sit on the sidelines. I won't play in this game. And unfortunately, they have actually chose a team. You see, we were all born into sin. And the Bible says that because sin will die. There is no way around that. And Satan knows that by being on his team, you will end in destruction. But here's what also Satan knows. He knows that he has, his ultimate ending is destruction. You see, it's already been written what's going to be destined for him and his team. He is going to be destroyed. So you and I are automatically, we believe this. If we believe in the scriptures, we believe in what Jesus has told us, we're on the winning team. But you still must make a decision. You still must decide, and you still must be a part of it. You cannot sit on the bench. Quit doubting who you are and what you're supposed to do. Don't be discouraged when it doesn't go your way exactly every single time. And don't delay Get into the fight and get into it now. Every day you turn on the news and it gets worse and worse and worse. We don't know what North Korea's got and we don't know his intentions. We know what he has said. We know what Iran has said. And we know they have capabilities of wiping out all of Jerusalem if they want to. The fight is coming, ladies and gentlemen. Believe it and stand with it. But you're on the winning team. Never doubt 
the winning team. Jesus did not come to prepare his people for a losing team. He came to prepare them for the winning team of his kingdom. 